Admittedly, I would consider this a forgettable episode. I'm not sure it would go on the skip list, but at the same time, I never planned to watch it again, so... This one was written by Jerome Bixby. You may remember him as the one who put to forth Day of the Dove, Requiem for Methuselah, and, of course, Mirror, Mirror. His original treatise was way darker than this one. Uh, the Kelvins were an evil conquering empire. And if you're saying, but they are, no, you, you don't get it. They were an evil conquering empire. And they were like, N -n 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 -n. NBC was like, tone that the heck down. And so DC Fontana was assigned to this one. So we know that she's still involved in the show, at least at this part. This was then done to shift things pretty much from, did I write it down? Yep, from the 32-minute point onwards is when the Fontana rewrites become a little more obvious, although the rewrites were still happening prior to that. What is there to say about this episode? We have a paralyzed Kirk who can look around, and, by the way, we've conquered you. You're conquered now. I'd make fun, but I'm pretty sure that's actually happened in real life. Hi, you're conquered. How are you? Uh, my name's Bob. <laughs> I'm here. This is Bobina. This is Barbarella. And this is Bob the Third. We've conquered you. How could you have conquered us? Well, do you have a flag? Sorry. Sorry. So, okay. Um, it's um, Where do I begin? These people are from Andromeda, and they've apparently conquered that galaxy. So that's an issue. And they're willing to offer up, you know, diplomatic relations with a conquering power. You know, I'd like to sound like I'm, you know, like that's unbelievable. But then I remember these are the people who let the Dominion walk all over them for years without actually trying to push back, constantly trying to grip the very concept of peace consistently and persistently. So, um... I suppose times don't change all that much. Anyways, this is this is hysterical. Check this out. So they're from Andromeda. Mass Effect Andromeda joke. We're walking. We're walking. And you notice their big fancy power is just a, a stun setting, right? Like you caught that? No, really. Think about this. They have this great phenomenal power, but actually all they have is two tools. And only two. Well, three. Three. Three tools. Four. Eighteen. Seventy-seven. They have three tools. For real. They can break you down into the cubes. Talk about that in a second. They can stun you. And they can beam. They can teleport. Now, I bring this up because that's how they conquer the ship. By beaming on board and stunning people. It's almost like using the transporter as a tactical tool is a really good idea. No, I'm never letting that go. <sighs> I mentioned I'd talk about it in a minute. They were trying to figure out how to kill off someone, because they had to kill off a red shirt. They have to prove the situation serious. How do you prove the situation serious without a death? That would be insanity, madness, absolute madness. So we have to kill off somebody, right? Can I take a moment to talk about this? Do you mind? I'm totally cool with killing people. I do it all the time. No, I... <laughs> in fiction, in fiction. Uh, as I've been, I've mentioned before, some of my friends and even my own mother have called me, uh, was it Buzzsaw Lore or Chainsaw Lore or something like that, because of the fact that I have absolutely no hesitation in killing off characters, even main characters, in my fictional works. That's just kind of how I write. That's my overall approach and style. But the thing is, all of none of those deaths happened because 
Every death was there that served some kind of purpose. And you could say, well, the, the death of the weak serves a purpose. It proves the situation serious. No, it doesn't. No, it, it shows up. Someone dies so that we know the situation is serious and that it never is brought up again and never matters again. That is not purpose. That is a check mark. And that's the distinction. You want to kill off characters on a Star Trek show, do it. But do it properly. And do it for a good reason. Don't do it just because we need to show that the villains actually mean business, right? <sighs> They were trying to figure out how to kill these people because they had to kill someone because we had a checkbox. I already complained about this. And they were trying to figure out how to actually do it. They were having issues because, well, the budget issues are actually, believe it or not, getting even worse at this point. Like, this is kind of the lead-up to Season 3 when the budget issues will be stark and severe. There's one final reason the budget issues were bad in late Season 2, which we'll get to because it's the very last episode of Season 2. You know what I'm talking about if you're already familiar with the show. Either way, I will give them credit. The method they use is actually very clever. They have these little, like, styrofoam things or whatever they're... I'm, I'm actually not sure what they're made of. And they convert people into them. And they can convert people out of them. So now we've, that's their third power. We've established that they can do this. Okay. Well, then they just take one and crush it. And that's how you kill someone. That's actually really clever. Because you know how much that costs? Probably like ten bucks. There is very little cost involved with doing that. They don't even have to do a special effect. In fact, in several cases, they don't do a special effect. Um, there's this wonderful bit, which they do in order to save money, where it cuts to a woman um, who's got her, her, you know, her belt thingy, and she's going to use it on these people to her left, and the people on her left are already gone. Like, in real life, on the set, there's just the cubes there, or the polyhedrons, or whatever they're actually called. But she's like, okay, she turns to her left, hits the button, there's a sound effect that's played, and then the camera pans over and we just see the, the polyhedrons. That's brilliant. You show the effect a couple of times. In fact, I think literally four times they actually show the, the pseudo-beaming effect. But even that's just a small effect over transition, and a very quick and easy transition since each transition is done with a very static shot rather than something more like a wide-angle beam. They do a good job with it is what I'm trying to say, and it's a great cost-cutting feature. So, praise on that front. I know this sounds weird, but I, I like to look into the practicality things they did to make this show happen at all back in the TOS era. Anywho, <clears throat> so then Kirk is like, you don't have to conquer us. You, you, we can offer you colonization. The Federation can help. We can take this to the Federation Council and blah, blah, blah. He almost says something word for word, which I just want you to remember, okay? So then we find out that these aliens are completely unused to human sensation because their innate form is something completely alien to us. Gosh, that sounds familiar. Huh. If only Cat's Paw hadn't already done that. Also, one of Roddenberry's first, if not his actual first sci-fi story ever, was also the same general idea. I know, I know. There's only so many stories. I mean, how many times have we been kicked out of paradise? Or, you know, had a prime directive issue. It's just, this is awfully similar to Cat's Paw. Just pointing it out. So, they have an escape attempt at ten minutes. Of course it fails. It's an escape attempt at ten minutes. Why, why would they, why even bother with that? And then they coldly and brutally murder one of the people. This is what I mentioned earlier. This is another reason. I hate to complain about this yet again. But do keep in mind, Kirk is eventually going to reach out a bomb to these people. 
when he is in a position of strength over them. And in so doing, he is going to completely never even bring up the fact that they murdered one of his crew members. By the way, that woman, the yeoman, whose name is not even listed in the actual credits of the episode, by the way. It's like Leslie Thompson or something like that. Um, she is the only female redshirt in TOS history. Red skirt? Anyways. <clears throat> so, okay, sure, whatever. We're just going to let that go. Then we have this nice little tidbit. They find out that they're actually a hundred-limbed aliens, which is just, okay, sure. But they have to adapt to human form in order to use their ship. Actually, what they specifically say is, why are they adapted to human form? Practicality. I actually laughed out loud, like, actually, you know, <laughs> when that happened. I mean, if you think about the practical application of trying to make a hundred-limbed alien on a show that was made in the 60s, you can probably picture how terrible that's going to look, right? So, for practicality's purpose, they're taking human forms. I, I, I got a kick out of that. Anywho, then they do the, oh my god, one of the prisoners is sick routine, because that always works. Do they keep these engine upgrades that allow them to go warp 11? I'm just curious, because you'd think they could just leave those on the Enterprise. That's a massive advantage, and it also they can go at warp 11 for a sustained period of time. Remember, going at warp 7 for a sustained period of time is a big deal, and has only ever been done once before, and that was probably bad writing. That was an iMUD. Um, that's, all, that's not counting uh, the Changeling, where obviously it was boosted up there as well. My point being, this is the kind of thing that you'd think they'd hold on to. Maybe this is where they gain the ability in future shows to be able to go past Warp 8? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just spitballing at this point. Either way, they then decide to try escape attempt number 2 at the 23-minute mark. Sure. This actually irritates me. This, this is nowhere near a Lamentation episode, even though it is probably a skip. But this scene actually just makes me go, what? Now, I approve of Kirk being a flawed individual and not a Mary Sue. I approve of the fact that he has issues and flaws and you know, nuances and blah, 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 blah. Spock and Scotty very correctly and accurately deduce that the best possible solution is to have the ship destroyed. I agree. Completely. This is the kind of situation where you should probably set the self-destruct, which actually hasn't been invented yet, so I suppose I can't mention that. Remember, we're trying to only look at continuity that's before this point, and there hasn't been a first self-destruct yet. In fact, I'm not actually sure there's going to be on TOS. It might actually be Star Trek Three. Is that three is the first time we have a self-destruct? I'm not sure about that. There is, of course, my personal favorite: the manual self-destruct. Uh, go down to the warp room and start shooting your phaser at it. But obviously, they don't have phasers, so that's a little limited. But they still have access to the equipment. You can't tell me they couldn't try to set some kind of overload, right? Either way, the option they give for self-destructing is very valid. And this is 100% what should be done in this situation from a cold, tactical perspective. Now, here's the thing. If Kirk was like, no, I think we have another method, or no, I've, I've got another idea percolating, okay. That's not what happens. Instead, Kirk's reacts to them as if they're nuts. In fact, he actually says, and I quote, Are you mad? And then when the moment comes, he's clearly being wigged out by it, like, oh, God, I can't do it, I can't do it. And he crumbles under the pressure and says, no, no, 
Everything's fine. Continue, continue as if nothing happened. And then later in the rec room, right before this, the show starts shift. Show starts sifting over into the more comedic side of the episode. He actually has this big argument about, "No, oh, I should have done it. I can't believe it." Ah, oh, so it's very clear that Kirk actually crumbled here because Kirk just couldn't bear the thought of losing his ship. Oh, I've got even more evidence to complain about here. Because what happens immediately after that is he capitulates, he lets the enemy conquering power walk all over him in standard Federation policy, and naturally what happens next is the conquering evil power then takes it a step further. Okay, now we're going to get rid of all your crew. And Kirk the whole time is like, no. Like, he didn't see this coming. Even though, even the most bare-bones basic of a brain will be able to tell you that that's exactly what's going to happen. In fact, he should consider himself lucky that all they did was neutralize them by turning them into the cubes. They could very easily just killed all the crew, because they don't really need to keep them around. They don't have the food stores, they don't have the necessity, and, and of course, security reasons for keeping them all on board. And in the long term, well, they're going to die of old age. This is a three-century journey here. Think about it. God, Kirk. Smack. So, yeah, this is, uh, this then leads to something that actually irritates me. Later on, like a full scene and a half later, Rojan? 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 Whatever his stupid name is. Is like, we detected your effort, of course. We were totally on board the whole time. Fnoff, fnoff. Which irritates me for two reasons. Number one, okay, sure, you're just better than at us in every way because you're the bad guy of the week. And the second reason that irritates me is because that makes Kirk retroactively right without any reasoning. It's very, very similar to the Janeway is right thing I've complained about many times, which has been showing up on Enterprise because Archer is right. And so in this case, Kirk is right, even though by all accounts, and he had no... Basically, they didn't earn that is what I'm trying to say. Okay, big complaint over with. Let's get on with the episode, because now we have the cat's paw point being repeated. You, you ever notice, by the way, how conquering powers are always just weird in Star Trek? It, it, at least in TOS. We've conquered you. Why, why are you resisting? I, I don't understand. I've already conquered you. Like, I'm in charge. I've got my flag. Why are you... What are you doing? I don't understand why you're resisting me here. This is such a common element. In fact, I'd say the only time it was really done well was with Khan. And in that case, if I'm being completely honest, that's probably just down to his acting that actually managed to make that soul. Because every other time it shows up when some super powerful alien or powerful alien or whatever takes hostages, which again, they do that in this episode, takes hostages or takes over the ship or conquers an area, they're just like, what? I, this is how this is. What is, what is with this resistance? I don't understand. And they're also blasé about it, too. It's like it's like it's a normal thing, right? Why would you resist? Anyways, I'm, I'm getting up to it. So then they decide to split up and stimulate them. Naturally, we start with Kalinda and seduction, which works brilliantly. I am told William Shatner is not a good kisser, but um, citation needed, because apparently... Kirk is an amazing kisser. I'm, I'm kidding, of course. Obviously, that doesn't correlate at all. But apparently, Kirk is just that good of a kisser. Remember, he's already done this back in What Our Little Girl Was Made Of with the android Andrea. Android Andrea. That's 
Yeah. So that kind of leads to uh, her doing supplemental reading on biological... Fun was she watching porn? Did, did they slip that into a... Moving on. This then leads to Tomar's sequence, which is the funnest of the sequences, which is a damn shame because it is the most unnecessary. Scotty successfully drinks Tomar under the, under the table and does a brilliant job of it. It's a good scene. It's a funny scene. I love doing. I love the guy who plays Tomar, and they just... It's, it's good. Although, he has to give, get rid of his hundred years old scotch just to do this. But it's okay. They did it. They did it. It was worth it. <laughs> and of course, I would be remiss if I did not point out it is it is green. Because if I don't point it out, someone's going to point it out. Uh, this then leads to Rojan, who is pushed by Spock into being jealous, which is hysterical, because if you think about it, Spock would be a really, really good pro uh, provocator? Provocator? The kind of person who could basically be a professional troll, because he would do everything in that quiet, cold, logical manner. And that is actually a form of trolling in real life. Not, not Spock, I mean, but that method of acting like, with cold, simple, logical deduction, what you're saying is true. And therefore, anybody who reacts to that emotionally is going to feel like their own defensive reaction to the lies that you are saying about them is wrong, and thus they start to question themselves, and you can see how that just turns into trolling, so that's just kind of what Spock does here. Meanwhile, Hennar gets a bunch of shots to turn him antagonistic, which doesn't really do much. And then Kirk finally gets... We get our fight. I actually haven't been talking about the fights. We had a couple of very small micro-fights back in Piece of the Action, but we... Uh, well, that's interesting. But this is the first time we've seen a full-scale fight in a bit, and it's it's sub-average. It's not great. I have seen better than this. But at least it was decent. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. I am going to have to look into that. Kirk then offers the exact same offer of, hey, you could come colonize to the conquerors who just who, who murdered one of his crewmen. You could argue that he had no choice at this point, and I suppose the, the possibility of actually killing them is something he was trying to avoid, but... Really? Really? That's where we're going with this? And she's like, No, I wish to stay with you, Rojan. I owe you an apology. What kind of culture are they going to have when they presume that the only way to apologize to someone is, you know... I don't know. This is ultimately a pretty forgettable episode, and I just do not have much to say about it. So, And I, unfortunately... I know a lot of you measure the quality of these ruminations by their duration, which is something I've been fighting against for about nine years now. But I'm just going to tell you right now, the length of these is going to pretty steadily shrink all the way through Season 3. There's just not a lot to say about most of these episodes. We, we're pretty much over the hump of quality. Kuhn has left, and Fontana's on her way out. Pevney has left, and we're going to be losing other people in upcoming episodes. We're at the point where start where TOS is starting to nosedive in quality, and there's just only so much you can say about bad episodes or disinteresting episodes or, worst of all, boring episodes. 
I'm going to do the best I can. This is my job, after all. And I hope you'll at least share at least some of this with me. But either way, I will see you next time. Nom, nom, nom.